For our scripture this morning, we're going to be journeying to the end of our Bibles and the book of Revelation. It's not some place we go very often, but we should. <clears throat> it tells us there, just as, the, as uh, Genesis tells us, the beginning of God's plan and the beginning of all creation. Revelation tells us God's plan for the new creation and the new, new Jerusalem. And it's the culmination of his plan in which everything is, is brought back full circle to that perfect relationship and that perfect place in which he intends for us to be. So in chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, these are the words that we hear. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth, heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars— they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Let us be in prayer for this scripture, which we receive from our Lord and for our pastor. Lord, your word is true. It is trustworthy. And everything from beginning to end, from the Alpha to the Omega is there for us to come to know you, to know your plan for us, to know who you are and how our relationship with you is formed. And so, Lord, let us take these words in. Let us let them soak into our hearts. And as Pastor Keith comes forward this morning to deliver the message, we know that he is a man of your choosing. To be here in this time and place to choose the message on this scripture and to uh, lift us up through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So, uh, wow, it's good to be here with you this morning. I got to tell you something. I'm a little worried about Pastor Mike. I'm sleeping in my bed soundly and restfully, 5.10 in the morning. I get this text from Mike. You guys are prayed forward. Tell them about our Jesus mission. Prayed over the sacrament too. Now back to sleep. It's Pacific time, which means it was 310 
when he sent that message. Now, what I responded to was, I said, I don't know if you're just out having a great night partying with your wife, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're just now getting back. He's in California. You know how they do things out there. Maybe he was out surfing. I don't know. And, and you're just coming back. Or if you're just having one of those, like, you know, moments where you're just, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and can't sleep. What do you guys think? We'll let him tell us when he gets back. No, but, but uh, you, you need to know, Mike's, Mike's uh, thinking of you. He's, he's got all of us on his heart right now, and, and I pray that he's having a restful vacation with Teresa as they're out enjoying some time together. But they'll be coming back soon, and, and we're ready to fire things back up here at the church in terms of our fall programming. It's going to be just a great year. We're excited. And we've been talking about our mission statement, and really more than the statement, what our mission is at the church, which is something that should be very familiar to all of us by now. We all can say it by heart. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But what I've, what I've found interesting about that mission statement is what it's missing. And, and here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say what kind of transformation. It doesn't say what we are being transformed into. See, transformation is one of those things that just happens, right? I mean, I heard a statement about a year ago that just kind of hit me. Maybe you've heard it before. And here, here was the statement. Change is mandatory. Growth is optional. Think about that for a second. We, we can't have as our mission statement, our, the mission of the church is to keep everything exactly the way it is. It just won't happen. Now, there are some churches that sort of live in that world where they want to just keep everything the same. There's some of us that like that. I mean, are you a person who likes change? I, I don't know. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Me personally, maybe with some things, but sometimes I like a certain thing to be a certain way, and if something changes it, I don't like it. I mean, you ever go into a restaurant and they have exactly what you want, and, and then you get down there and they bring you the menu and something's changed and you freak out? You're like, what is this? You know? Or, or maybe, you know, something in your world goes through a transformation and you're frustrated by that. But here's the thing. Everything changes. And there's no choice. Sometimes the changes that happen around us are things that are more noticeable and sometimes the changes that happen in us are the things that are more noticeable. Sometimes things around us change all the time and we haven't changed. And, and, and we don't know what to do with that. I'll give you a great example of, of how that works in ministry. When we, just went, when we went to Haiti... Um, we, we experienced lots of different things down there. And we, we told the people, when, when you come back from Haiti, you're going to have to recognize that you've changed, but the rest of the world has not. So if you come back from an experience like that, and you expect everybody else to be different because you are, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. Because the rest of the world hasn't changed just because you went on a trip and you come back. A great example of that. Um, one of the things that we do down there is, in our, in our program, we get to, to spend some time feeding the kids lunch. And when you feed kids lunch in Haiti, um, imagine a room about the size of this, of this area up here with about 200 kids crammed into it, sitting on little benches, just, just arm to arm, sometimes sitting on top of each other, waiting to be fed lunch by our team. And our team is ready to feed them. And what we do is they bring out all this food, and then we serve the kids one by one, we make a little line, and we go down the line, and we hand them their food. Now, 200 kids being fed one by one, it's 100 degrees down there, and they're being fed 
these little styrofoam containers that have probably been used 10 times, okay? These little styrofoam containers filled with rice, one little piece of chicken about that big, a little bit of this stuff called pickles, which is kind of like coleslaw, and if they're lucky, like half of a tomato slice. And that's their lunch. And when you feed these kids, one by one, they take that and they eat every single morsel of rice in that container. They make sure some of the four-year-olds have their babies, baby brother, baby sister that, that they're taking care of. They feed them. They make sure everyone's taken care of. They don't fight. They don't complain. They don't waste. They're appreciative. And, and in the middle of the first day on this last trip, I turned around and like three of my team members were outside. They had to just step away and they went outside the church and they just started crying because it hit them so hard. Well, I told them, when you come back to the United States, things are going to look different to you now. Indeed, the next week, one of the, one of the people that was on my team went out to serve uh, lunches for Fly. <laughs> I got this text from her and she's like, I don't like doing this. These kids are brats. They're complaining about the food. Some of them threw their sandwiches on the ground. Some of them complained about the bologna, this and that. And I'm like, well, that's how, you know, I mean, when you serve kids in America, some kids grab it and appreciate it. Some kids just want the fruit snack and throw the food away. That's, we're, we're used to that, aren't we? Anybody that's done fly, we understand what that's like. Many of the kids, they, they rely on that. But there are others that, 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 you know, they're just like, hey, what's this? Free stuff. Cool. Give me the, give me the snack. And... and but when, when, we, when there's a change around you sometimes, you know, it's pretty obvious. But when you change, that's even more obvious. Change is going to happen. But growth doesn't have to happen. And you've met people like that. The world changes and they just stay in their way. And nothing gets them to move. When we talk about the transformation of the world through the church and what we're trying to do, it's very important that we understand that the world is going to transform whether the church does anything or not. The world's going to change. Our, our mission has to be bigger than the transformation of the world. It has to be more specific. It has to be more targeted because we could just shut down the church right now all across the world. And guess what? The transformation of the world is still going to happen. The question is, what kind of transformation? What's it going to transform into? And that's what we need to, to key in on today. And in order to do that, we have to talk about why the world needs to be transformed in the first place. Why does God look at this world and say, hey, I need my church to transform this world? What is God up to with this transformation? Why does the world need to change? What's wrong with the world, right? Right? Think about that for a minute. It's interesting to think about that question, isn't it? Why does the world need to change? Now, of course, it's an election year this year. So we get to listen to all kinds of people talk about that, right? And it's always interesting to me how whichever political party is in power wants to make the case that, you know, we don't really need change. We need to keep things the same, kind of more of the same. And then whoever's not in power is like, oh, this whole place stinks. We need to change everything. Right? And when the roles are reversed, it's the same script just played out in different ways, isn't it? Well, what does God say about the transformation of the world and why it needs to be transformed? Well, I have three things that the scriptures inform us about with, with why the world needs to be transformed. And the first one is simply this. This is the easy one. It needs to be transformed because of sin. 
because of sin. It doesn't need to be transformed uh, because everyone's awesome. It needs to be transformed because of sin. Because this world contains sin that has messed it up pretty badly. And that's what God is about the business of transforming. Romans 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sin. I want you to think about the beginning. Adam and Eve, created by God, In the Garden of Eden, God walking with them. God in a close, intimate relationship with them. God giving them eternal life. God existing with them. And then through this thing called sin, everything becoming destroyed. Death entering the world. Death was not God's invention. That was the result of disobedience to God. And that's the first thing that that God is is working to transform. Because of sin, the world is the way it is. People say, why is there there evil in the world? Because we're evil. Because we're here. That's the bottom line. Why is the world evil? Take us out. It's probably not going to be half as bad. Because we're sinners. And and, and as soon as you learn to embrace that fact about yourself and about this world, it kind of makes things a little bit more clear, doesn't it? We have to own that. It says that, that we all sinned, right? We can't just blame it on Adam in the garden. Oh, well, you know, it's his fault. Yeah, you know what? We all jumped on that train. We all jumped on that train. That's, that's one of the reasons why the world needs to be transformed. Secondly, is because of rebellion. Human beings, by nature, rebel against God. God sets up his kingdom and his authority and, and his laws, and we, as by default, because of sin, we tend to go the other way. We tend to, to, to fall away from God. Romans 1 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, what he's saying here is this. God has made it known to all of creation who he is because of creation. We're here because God put us here. We can see what God is like by looking at at the universe and by looking at the things that God has made and we can understand God. And he's revealed himself to us, but human beings in their rebellion have chosen instead of following God's ways to suppress the truth about God so that we can do whatever we want to do. It's part of what happens to us, isn't it? See, when you want to do what you want to do, and you still want to have God in your life, you've got to find a way to suppress that truth, right? Because if you don't suppress it, then you have to be face-to-face with it. And that's not always an easy thing to do, right? It's hard to face the truth about God when you want to do your own thing that goes against God's will. It's tough. So we make stuff up about God. We suppress the truth. We say things like this. Well, God just wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Right? So I I can do whatever I want to do. And and as long as I'm happy, isn't that what God would want for me? Because doesn't God love me? I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from people who are destroying their families because God wants them to be happy. And if they, if they follow God's will for them, they might not be happy. 
And of course, that, that's a disconnect because God wants me to be happy. See, when you want to do what you want to do, you have to suppress the truth of God. Because God's voice does not change. It's loud and clear. But you see, people don't want to live like that. It's too hard. It's too hard to deny yourself what you think is going to make you happy in that moment, isn't it? You ever live like that? I tell you what, a lot of people have been destroyed and hurt chasing that carrot out on the stick of happiness somewhere. And we chase that around thinking if we just find this stuff or this perfect relationship or this perfect job or this goal or this achievement, then I'll be happy. And we follow that all throughout life and we follow it away from God believing that, well, my happiness is the most important thing. It's probably the most important thing to you, but I can guarantee you this. It's not the most important thing to God. What's most important to God is not your happiness. What's most important to God is your holiness. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, well, that's boring, right? I mean, who wants to be holy when you can be happy? Let me tell you something. You will never truly experience joy until you've experienced holiness. Because happiness comes and goes, doesn't it? I mean, it's there for a second, and then it's gone. Just watch a little kid open his Christmas presents, right? He's happy for about five seconds. Then he realizes you got him the wrong color Tonka truck or something like that, you know? Or his, his, uh, the iPad Touch doesn't have enough gigabytes or something like that. Or the newest model of phone just comes out the day after Christmas, and now we hate the one we have. we got to get that. I mean, we can be happy for about five minutes in our culture before we have to have the next thing. I am the chief of sinners on that, Okay? paid my motorcycle off last week, and I'm already like, ooh, can I get another one? My wife is saying, no, you cannot. Be happy with what you have. And I say, yes, dear. Right? But we're like that, aren't we? We're like that with our stuff. We're like that with everything, you see? We've got to stop rebelling against God. That's why the world needs to be transformed. And then, of course, where all this floats from, where all this comes from is this broken relationship with God. That's where our, our, our sin comes from. That's where our, our rebellion comes from. It comes from the fact that our relationship with God, because of our sin, is, is, is broken. Isaiah writes this in 59, verse 2. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, you can't have this rebellious, sinful life and then have this awesome relationship with God at the same time. When, when, we, when we push God away, when we suppress the truth, when we live out our sin, we're, we're severing that relationship with God. And there's this, this, this disconnect. And that's why the world needs to be transformed. So what's God's goal for transformation? What are we trying to do here? Where is he taking us? Two short verses, or one short verse. Simply this, we already prayed it this morning, on earth as it is in heaven, right? Jesus gives us that as, as the goal. He says, here's the goal for the transformation of the world, to make this planet as much like heaven as humanly possible. That's where Jesus was going with that prayer. That's what we seek God for every time we pray it. But what does that mean? How is it in heaven? What are our relationships like there? What is the worship like there? What is the inclination of our heart toward God like in heaven? Whatever that is, that's what God is working in and through us. That's the goal. 
And of course, ultimately, love and obedience to God. Love and obedience to God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Right? If you love me, you will keep my commands. He didn't say, if you love me, you know, you can still do whatever you want to do and everything will be fine and you can just sort of fit me into your life whenever you feel like it and, and, you know, it'll be all fine. Don't worry about it. I can take it. No, he said, if you love me, this is what you're going to do. So don't let someone tell you they love Jesus, but yet they're just going to go and not keep his commands. Right? I mean, we have, to, we have to see what people do with their lives and what people do with that text before we can decide whether or not, you know, we can buy this idea that they love Jesus. Oh, I've heard people tell me they love Jesus all the time, right? I love Jesus, Pastor, but you know what? I'm just not going to do that. Or I love Jesus, but you know what? I'm just going to keep doing that. And God will have to understand you know what? God understands just fine. God does not have a problem with his understanding. It's us that have the problem with the understanding. And Jesus makes it very clear, doesn't it? He says, if you love me, if, you, if, if that's true, then, then you're going to obey my commands. You're, you're going to do what I say. That's the proof. And, and that's where we're going. That's what God's transforming us into, you see. And then ultimately, God's goal for transformation is the readiness for Christ's return and the renewal of all things. Jesus is coming back. Right, right after he was lifted up out of, out of the sight of the apostles, the angels said he will return in the same way that you saw him go. And we know that when he returns, he's coming back. And he's coming back to judge the nations. And he's coming back to set up his earthly kingdom here. A new heaven and a new earth, as Vicky read in Revelation. You can put that verse up there. We're not going to walk through all of it. But, but take a look at that. This is a powerful picture of where we are being transformed into and what God's plan is for this world. A new heaven and a new earth. God is making a new thing. He's preparing it as a bride for her husband. He's making everything new. And I love what he says here in verse 6. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, we have to recognize this is ultimately where God is taking us. Read that text sometime when you get home. Read Revelation 21. Understand where we're going. But also understand this. The change is mandatory, but the growth is optional. Because notice at the end of this, we read of a transformation that's not so awesome for some people. Amen? We read of a transformation where, where he says that, that for those who turn their back from God, who, who, who fall away from God, who, who practice all these evil things, who do these horrible things, and, and who live in their lives of rebellion against God, God says a change is coming for them too. They will be transformed, but their transformation lies in a fiery burning lake of sulfur. Change is mandatory. Growth is optional. Which way do you want to go in your transformation? Do you want to be transformed into God's awesome kingdom? Or do you want to be transformed into the second death? We have to make that choice. Now, I know that's not popular to say. And I know that people say things all the time like, but but pastor, aren't we all God's children? I mean, we're all God's children, right? 
and I always respond to that with a question. Where do you see that in the Bible? The fact is this. We are not all God's children. Wash that out of your brain. North American Christians in the year 2016 that want to just wipe everything away except this lovey-dovey idea that everybody on this whole planet is just fine because we're all God's children. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. God says that any who come to him in faith that, that he brings into his kingdom, they are his children. But Jesus called the Pharisees children of the devil. Right? They were the most religious people that you could ever even find. And he said, your father is the devil. We're not all God's children. Now, let me give you the good news. We are all invited to be God's children. God wants us all to be his children. He wants every single person that he's ever created to be his child. He said that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And that's the point of the transformation. Change is mandatory. Growth is optional. God puts the option to you and to me and to this world. And he says, hey, I'm changing stuff. And I want to start with you. How will the world be transformed? This is important. How's it going to happen? Is God just going to snap his fingers, boom, and it's done? Or do we have to like figure it out? Like, make a, like have a Methodist meeting or something and sit down and take a vote and have a council and a, a conference and all this stuff and decide, okay, how's this going to happen? Let's figure it out. And God's sitting up in heaven going, gee, I better, man, I hope they get that right. I have to rewrite Revelation 21 if they don't. No. But God sets aside how he's going to do it, and, and simply it's this. By the disciples carrying out their mission. Jesus gave his disciples, his church, a mission. He said, here's how this is going to happen. Here's what I want you to do. What is your mission? The disciples must carry it out. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. See, we've got to not be afraid of this mission. We've got to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the power of transformation. The gospel contains the transformational power of God. And we must carry this mission out. Our mission is to spread the gospel. That's what our mission is. Secondly, by gospel proclamation... That's how the world's going to be transformed. It's not going to be transformed through social programs. It's not going to be transformed through military power. It's not going to be transformed through morality. It's not going to be transformed through legislation. It's not going to be transformed through the right president. It's not going to be transformed uh, through the culture. Well, I should say it like this. It is going to be transformed through all those things. But it's not going to be transformed by God's way through any of them. It's going to be transformed by gospel proclamation, by people like you and me going out into this world and telling other people the good news of Jesus Christ. See, if we want to live in this world where we're all God's children, we have to go out and invite people into the family. I love what Paul says here in Romans 10. 
He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Amen. That is an amazing text right there. There's not one person who's going to call on the name of the Lord that God is going to say, eh, sorry, not you. You're out of here. There's not one person who's going to approach God and, and call upon his name in sincerity of faith, and God's going to say, sorry, you did some bad stuff when you were a teenager. Beat it. Sorry, you're not the right color. You're not the right type of person. You don't come from the right place. You weren't a Baptocostal, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, or whatever you're supposed to be. You, you're, you weren't this, you weren't that. By everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one they have not believed? Now remember, belief and call upon the name of the Lord go hand in hand. It's not, oh God, help me. It's, God, I believe in you. It's not, oh God, if something is out there somewhere that's sort of a God figure in the world, uh, you know, whatever, whether you're Hindu, Buddhist, Muhammad, whatever, whoever you are, save me. That's not what we're talking about here. He's saying, you have to believe in Jesus. He says, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, the world's going to be transformed God's way when people like you and me go out into this world, into our worlds, and tell people about Jesus. Tell people the good news. Tell people what he's done. Tell people how amazing he is. Show people the change that he's made in your life and invite them into that same relationship. But ultimately, the world will be transformed by God's power. Not because we figured it out, but because of what God's doing. 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To reconcile means that something that was messed up is now made whole. It means that something that was, that was broken is now fixed. And that is the ministry of God through Jesus Christ that he wants to do in and through you and through all of us. That's what we're invited into. That's what the growth that's optional can happen in our lives. If we would embrace that, if we would allow God's power to wash through us, all the stuff that's broken inside you, God's promised he will fix. The, 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 the things that, that burden you down and the pain that you experience and the, the grief that you have, God has promised ultimately to transform all of that stuff to make it right. You heard what Vicky said about what it's like in heaven. There's no pain, there's no crying, there's no death. That's where God wants to take us. That's what God wants to do. But we've got to be willing to come to him and submit ourselves and allow the transformation that is coming into our lives one way or another 
to transform us into Christ and what he has for us. Amen? On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus made some changes too, didn't he? He changed the Passover meal with the disciples. The Passover had been celebrated the same way for thousands of years, but Jesus broke tradition when he gathered in the upper room with his disciples. He knew a big change was coming. He was about to be transformed. And he took a loaf of bread and he gave thanks to his Father in heaven and he broke the bread. And he said, now take and eat. This is my body broken for you. In the same way, when the supper was over, he took a cup, he gave thanks to his Father in heaven for it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, now take and drink, each of you. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat and drink this, do so in memory of me. As you come this morning to receive communion, we we receive communion in the United Methodist Church in a very open way. We don't care whether you go to this church, whether you're a member or not a member, whether you belong someplace else, or whether this is your first day. You are welcome at Christ's table. The only thing that matters is that you want that transformation to come from Jesus Christ in your heart. If that's your desire, you are invited. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the transformation that is taking place, God, in our hearts. Mold us more into your image. Make us the people that you've created us to be. God, change our hearts, forgive our sins, and may we be your ambassadors to this world, preaching the gospel and living a life and faith that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.